0: Hello, this is Les Goldberg, and welcome to The Road Ahead. The Road Ahead podcast is dedicated to the future of the live events business, bringing together industry experts. Hello, production world. This is Les Goldberg and The Road Ahead. Today, I have two amazing guests. I have James Boris, and he is a broadcast live events video director. And I have Dave Knuckles, who is the owner and executive producer for Dave Knuckles. Productions, DNP. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Les. Good to be here. Hi, it's good to be here. Guys, today we are talking about um, the world of hybrid experiences, and we have been doing them kind of since the post-COVID world. And uh, we want to talk about today what we've learned, and we've done lots of them. Um, Both of you uh, guys are... uh, uh, people that participate in hybrid events, video direction, and from well, it's, whether it's a live audience, a remote audience. And I really kind of want to get your opinions on where we're at in this world of hybrid. So I'm going to throw the first question to Dave Knuckles. Dave, could you kind of tell me, how do you describe a hybrid event or a hybrid experience? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, as you mentioned, COVID really um, has brought that term to light. Um, We've always kind of been doing them. Um, The notion is that there is an experience that's happening live. So whether you're in an an arena or a ballroom or a big convention space, you've got the live component, but then um, you can also reach people remotely. Um, (laughs) With COVID, it became a necessity to do more of the remote because people weren't meeting live. Um, What people like the Microsofts and the sales forces of the world have found is that there was really a good um, opportunity to reach more people by focusing and really enhancing that remote experience. So a lot of companies are saying, it's definitely here to stay. How do we make it great? How do we um, have the two different experiences both be great? Um, but but that's what the hybrid event really is now, is, is two different shows with lots of intersection points to get the maximum reach for your customers.
0: Okay, Jim, give me your thoughts. The hybrid experience, the hybrid event experience, what are your thoughts? Has Dave covered it or do you have other cool things to add?
2: Well, Dave did a very good, very good job. For me, it's a a live event, whether it's in a Vogena arena, a large convention space, whether it's a corporate job, whether it's an entertainment gig with uh, headline talent, what have you, but it's also simultaneously broadcast. But it is two distinct audiences for a single live event gosh a lot of corporate shows have been doing their 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 big corporate meetings and webcasting at the same time even prior to covid
0: so 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 let me ask you a follow up question and and get your thoughts on this should the content vary from the live experience that's happening in a ballroom a convention center to the screens for that live audience to the remote experience do you see them as unique experiences and do you see the content the same different or do they share the same content or 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 some version of that what are your thoughts
2: i have a from from a directorial and compositional and camera directing point of view i have quite a quite a, a few opinions on that uh one i think that production companies that create the content for these events you know the primary focus of the live event and the broadcast seems to be secondary. The one thing that, that, that troubles me is a lot of these large corporate events, especially, have such a wide screen. In order to get that information out to the broadcast, you have to have such a wide shot that it becomes so letterboxed. I mean, if, if so it's hard, to, it's hard to appreciate. It's hard to, it's hard to see detail sometimes it's very good to have a second director the second director can put can put uh, the speaker if there's a heavy content heavy heavy graphic content they can put him in a, a box and put the 169 content which needs to be produced in a 169 format for the broadcast since people at home are watching on 169 aspect ratio just just as a, a, a side adjunct just a compositional thing A lot of rock shows, a lot of concerts and a lot of headline and a lot of scenic designers, because the the LED is really a scenic element, have started to put the IMAG elements in a very narrow aspect ratio, almost like a vertical format of an iPhone. Okay, so 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 your IMAG becomes very static, almost on the front line of on on a headline. Artist and oh sure, and some of the delay screens even within the venue are sixteen nine. So compositionally, uh, sure, it's it's very difficult. I think to to present. I gotcha. Who gets sacrificed? Basically, if you compose for that for that narrow aspect ratio, your sixteen nine composition, well, in a word,
0: is poor. Okay, I gotcha. So so let me ask this say, follow follow up question to Dave. As, as James, uh, Jim Boris has given us this, this insight, what are your thoughts? Is there, is there a separate curated uh, event experience for, for a remote audience? And he keeps talking about, you know, the composition and the aspect ratio and, and using the real estate and those super widescreen uh, aspect ratio images and not looking good on broadcast. Do you do separate broadcast graphics, Dave?
1: What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah. Jim made some really, really good points, covered a lot of really good stuff there. I I just want to, uh, ramp up a a few things that he said, um, and expand a little bit. Um, I look at, at, at these as two completely different shows with some crossover. So he's right. It is a television show on the broadcast side. When you go live until you shut down at the end of the day, you've got to have compelling content, um, being fed the entire time. Um, so it's two different teams. You've got the broadcast team. They're worried about their own graphics, their own music, their own transitions, their hosts. Anything that they're that they're going to put on out on the broadcast is a completely different group of folks with a um, somewhat of a different mission. Obviously, it's for the same client, but a different mission for how they're catering to the remote audience. The overlap is when you look in on the live experience. So the live team is worried about, you know, audio staging, lighting, projection, LED, anything that is in the, the arena and what that experience is for the 8,000, 10,000, 25,000 guests that are there. So the collaboration is huge. Um, I think the most successful shows that I've worked on recently is when you let each team kind of do their own thing and you just recognize when that transition is going to happen. For example, when keynote happens, let's say at 10 o'clock, you flip over and you just let the keynote team do their thing. So you take their, their master switched feed and that's what you broadcast. Jim is exactly right. Formats are crazy. And so you have to take all that into account. You can have boxes. You can do big little boxes where you take you know whatever size screen it is that they're that they're using at that time and put it on some sort of a graphical overlay um for the broadcast but all that is worked out in advance you know that you know if you have to do that it's things like downstream keying the bug and and lower thirds and all those kind of things need to be weighed into it but if you have two different teams focused on their individual missions you have a lot better recipe for success and and the ones that I've done recently um that, that I I considered to be very successful, um, have kind of been approached from that point of view.
2: I, have, I absolutely agree, and especially audio-wise. You need a full mm-hmm. split audio from from the live event so that you mm-hmm. can
0: mix it for the broadcast portion.
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay.
0: So, so guys, this is a question to... Uh, I'll throw it to both of you, whoever wants to opine first. Um, maybe Dave, can you measure the remote audience that, that's watching this? You, is there any way to actually get... Real-time feedback, or how do you know the people that are watching it, other than the large voluminous numbers of people that have logged in? How do you get feedback from that? Do you is it surveys? Is it the length of duration they've logged on? Is it uh, you know how, is is that the way to get feedback from that? Is there any interactivity?
1: Yeah, it's all about metrics these days, isn't it? You've always got to know, you know, was it worth it and and how many people watched and how many people, you know, all that stuff. So what we've done is we've really worked in a lot of engagement tools into the broadcast. Um, Twitter is an obvious one, or I guess we should say X now. Um, but, you know, are people tweeting about what you're doing? Um, We have created some content that is unique to the broadcast that, um, that people really have enjoyed things like um, we'll make funny commercials or fake commercials, or we'll have um, um, the hosts interview guests that really help to enhance some of the messages that were in the keynote, for example, Um, just a lot of different things to which the audience can react to. So they can, you know, they, they'll tweet and say, wow, that guest was amazing. Or that, that, uh, mashup video that, that they created on the broadcast was so funny or whatever it is so that's one immediate way to find out is kind of what is the 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 amount of tweets what are the, what is the amount of um of of, of comments that you're getting um, just in in the uh, social media space um we put the hashtag up a lot so that people know that they can uh interact and that they can participate. Um, We would always try to recognize those people. So if somebody would tweet and you'd say, hey, less from Orlando says, then they know that 100,000 people just heard their name, saw their Twitter handle. um, And so they are encouraged to do that as well. So um, there are a lot of other metrics related to the players where they do know how many people are on at a given time. They can tell, you know, kind of the activity that of those folks, you know, how long did they stay on? Did they stay till the end? That's always the challenge is, you know, how do you make it compelling enough with teases and coming ups and all those kind of things so that people um, feel compelled to stay because there's just so many distractions, so many ways to to find other things to do when you're watching from home, and you've got you know your regular lives going on sometimes too. So, um, but yeah, there there are ways through the player um, that um, you know metrics that you can you can use, um, and and that measurable um, component is certainly important to the clients I've found.
0: Jim, do you think uh, agree with Dave, and have you found any other things that you've done for engagement for remote audiences? The the issue of in a lot of the shows that I'm hired for is that there is
2: a single director directing three, three different shows an IMAG show a line, a, a line cut show. That's very difficult. That's just very difficult. You got to have a TD and you got to have a TD and, and camera operators that, that, you know, you've worked with a lot when possible, when the budget will allow. And then, and then the broadcast is mainly the line cut with some 16, nine composed graphics, for for high for high level content, as far as having two directors, just to retrace for a minute, uh, that you know, if, if there's a panel discussion, basically the second the, the broadcast director takes the same cut that the live the live show director is doing, because especially if we're if we're in a sixteen nine uh, aspect ratio in in the venue, so the uh, so that the broadcast director is really working with. Uh, taking taking the line cut for the majority of the show, and then when they need to, they can they can put in a you know if, if there's a if there's a widescreen video that's also been produced in sixteen nine, it's playing in sync role from the high res, and we take the sixteen nine and the broadcast director can do that. As far as feedback on audience uh, size and such, typically I'm not involved in that at all. But mainly the the, the feedback that I've Heard kind of surreptitiously from the producers is how many how many folks logged
0: in got it well you know the number of eyeballs that watched the show is very important and the the time that they were logged in um i want to switch this to a different subject if you are preparing to do and and on this discussion let's say we have someone directing a live show and let's say someone was dedicated to directing the remote show um, how do you begin to prepare for those two different shows, and I'll throw this to Dave first to say, what you, how would you approach this for a client?
1: Well, um, not to be uh, repetitious, but, but as I mentioned earlier, when you prepare the two different shows is complete different shows. Um, if you focus only on the broadcast, um, the notion is what is on the screen all the time? Um, I always, it just makes me crazy when I sit in initial meetings and they'll say, well, we'll put up a holding slide during this time. Holding slides are just an invitation for people to walk away from their computers, and you may not get them back. There's just too many distractions at home. So I've been very fortunate to work with some clients recently where they get that, and we have our own production, our own pre-production budget. And so we create a lot of content. Um, We do look at those crossover moments like keynotes, perhaps some breakouts that we go to. Um, as moments, big chunks of time that we know that's what we're going to do. But then what do you do all that other time? because you want people to, to stay stay with you, you know all, to, all, all day long for the entire broadcast. So we will create um, pre-produced packages. Um, we will do like 101s on tips and and um, on on tricks on, on things for using the software, whatever the client happens to be. Um, we will do uh, pre-interviews. Now, things don't, you don't want them to be too long. Of course, you want to keep people's attention, but um, we'll do interviews. I've mentioned the hosts several times. If you can have hosts interview people that can. Well, maybe they were part of the keynote, and you can have them expand a bit on on what it is that that they they uh, they announced um, in the keynote. Or you can have other experts comment on features that were announced, things like that. Um, you can have people walking by; that are just so excited that you that you ask them about their excitement and such. The pre production stuff that you really asked about, um, we'll do things like we'll have um, we'll we'll create montages of people saying just where they're from, how many years they've been to the conference, what they're excited about, what their favorite feature is. And we always have those packages that we can toss to. Um, if the hosts get a little bit uh, stymied on, on what they should say next, or if they've kind of gone through all their questions or whatever it is, they can say, we'll be right back after this, just like a regular TV show. And it's it's good, compelling content um, that we've produced that that we can use. Um, the last thing I'll just mention real quick um, is we have a a quick turn team on site. And so what they do is they actually go out with a camera and interview people or take in the sights and sounds and then come back and kind of crash together kind of a broadcast news style, um, editing, uh, where they'll crash together packages and then those are available. So the hosts could toss to and say, you know, the registration was crazy this morning, take a look, you know, and we'll usually start with like a drone shot and different things. And and so it really brings the remote viewer into the, the conference and they feel engaged. They feel like they're there. Um, and we always like those, those comments. The best is when people say, I feel like I was there. There was, there was so much, you know, great, great video and such that that made me feel like I was actually um, on location. So we do spend a fair amount of time pre-producing packages to help um, fill that time with good, compelling content.
0: Got it. Okay. Jim, do you uh, ever have any remote participation? We're doing these hybrid events and sometimes there's a remote audience. Do you, other than maybe a guest speaker who's not live, do you ever have anyone call in or or be part of the production and they're not being in the environment you're in? Is that ever? Ha- is that something you experience
2: during the pandemic? Particularly, there were some shows that were
0: all remote. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah,
2: just before Thanksgiving in 2020.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, that we 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 just lived with remote presenters. But but today, are you still experiencing that? Hardly ever. You know what we'll have is we'll have
2: some. Like, if for instance, if say if if the Secretary of Transportation or whatever had had you know was was online, they would we'd bring them in. Uh, Typically, we used to do this with satellite, but now it's you know they they call in on Zoom, it's processed as another source on the
0: on the on the switcher. Sure. So you're still dealing with some remote presenters.
2: Well, yes, some some remote presenters. Well, for instance, Elton John. For, I, I do a show for Elton John's AIDS Foundation every year uh, during for the Academy Awards. It's a it's a it's a big party in in West Hollywood uh, that raises millions of dollars for uh, his AIDS Foundation. And this last year, he was uh, on his concert tour, his farewell concert tour. So he would he would come in remote. Sure, there's some real drawbacks there. The one thing that I that you see on news all the time with when rem- remotes come in is lip sync is so far out. You just want to tear your eyes out.
0: Let's not do that. Let's not do that today. Hey, Dave, have you had that experience uh, recently with some of the hybrid events bringing people in remotely like uh, Jim was talking about?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. And I-, I will tell you that, that the rule that I always try to, to use is, why are we doing it? There has to be a reason why you go live. If there's not a really good, compelling reason, then don't do it. Then then do it on a tape delay, uh, turn the package around. There's just a lot more control technically. Um, there, th- as Jim mentioned, uh, you know, with the the lips, you know, with, with being out of sync is a huge one. Obviously, the internet can drop. There can be buffering. You know, lots of different reasons. Uh, but if for some reason, like. I've worked with clients where they like to bounce around. It's like, hey, let's go to London. Let's go to Berlin or whatever. And it really shows that they are doing that. It's almost like when you watch the Super Bowl and you see they'll show that military shot when when they see themselves on, on, on the screen and they cheer. I mean, that's cool. That's fun. Um, what we've done recently, and I, I think you still get the same effect, is we have um, the various watch parties, as they call them, send in a little bit of tape. We put those together, we crash together and we'll, and we'll, you know, we can then use graphics and stuff. You can say London and Paris and whatever it is. And so you still get the same effect of uh, looking in on the remote viewer. You know, it does feel fairly live, but, it, but you don't have the technical um, problems that you could have. So if you're going to go live, I think you got to have a real good reason to go live. Otherwise, I'll really push um, for a quick turn or, or a taped piece any anytime um, that the client would accept that.
2: I really I really agree with that 100 percent. I mean, my basic rule as a director is especially cutting cameras and such and shooting music or any or any other time is if it's not motivated, don't do it.
0: Oh, for, oh, for sure. So so yeah. let, let me move on to my final question and uh, I'll, I'll throw this to you, James, first. Or it's our uh, hybrid events here to stay for the future. And uh, have we learned a lot doing them? Uh, for these remote audiences, what is your thought? Um,
2: I, I, I think that they are here to stay, especially in large corporate events uh, and and also for training events for pharmaceutical salespeople and that kind of business. And I think that that uh, uh, I hope that it settles down where the where the production design of the live event can coordinate with what's needed for the broadcast. I think that that is that's the, the biggest challenge. Now that, that is the cohesion. We need cohesion. Exactly. But I I believe they're here to stay because the they can expand their audience. Let's say you're doing a big a, a major corporation like Amazon for instance. I, I think that it, it it costs in in the long run it costs less for for the end client and for the production companies to reach
0: a huge audience. I completely agree with you, and uh, I I feel like um, that remote audience is scalable, and uh, people don't have to get on airplanes, and maybe not everyone qualifies, and it also allows you to work different time zones. Um, Dave, why don't you bring us home and tell us what your thoughts are about the future of hybrid events in this world we live in now, and, and what you opine, what do you see the future to look like?
1: Well, I sure hope it continues. Um, I've never been busier. Um, it's been a, a nice sweet sweet spot for me because my kind of my two components of my career have been live events and broadcast events. So um, doing both well, which, which we seem to have been doing recently, which has been exciting, um, has, has really been a lot of fun. Um, I do think that they're here to stay because as Jim was suggesting, um, you just can, you have a tremendous reach that you wouldn't otherwise have. If you can have 8,000 people in an arena, that's, that's great for those 8,000 people. But if you can have 100,000 people that you can get the message out to. Just think of, of how many more advocates you have for that product and how many more people have been exposed to whatever that content is. So I think uh, the word is that the companies have really realized that hybrid events um, are so much more effective than um, than just doing one or the other. Um, and so I do think they're here to stay. Of course, you know, we'll have to see what AI does in the future and how that affects things. It's going to be interesting. Um, I've been really reading an awful lot about how AI um, is being used in production and, and such. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that um, changes things if it does. Um, but boy, I, I sure hope that uh, the hybrid events are here to stay for a long time because I think they're very effective.
0: I would tell you both. That you are 100
1: percent correct.
0: Uh, we're not going to give up on our remote audience. Um, live shows are back, and uh, ballrooms, event spaces are limited to how many people can fit, and you can do overflow rooms. So, I, I, if I'm predicting the future, I think we're going to be doing this, and what I uh, for for quite some time into the future. And I really like kind of the discussion you both had about having, uh, you know, a dedicated team for the remote audience versus the live audience. I know. Uh, Jim mentioned that sometimes, you, you know, the same director has to cut multiple feeds. I think that's a really challenging environment to do something well. And uh, I look forward to all the great events we're going to do in the future. And uh, guys, thank you so much. I want to thank you, uh, Jim Boris and Dave Knuckles for joining my show today. And this is Les Goldberg and The Road Ahead. Guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Les. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Les.